Welcome to the War. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. This program is first uploaded and heard on Memorial Day of 2014. And I wanted to do a Memorial Day program, but I was surprised by the lack of a Memorial Day programming during World War II. Indeed, I found there were various podcasts and websites that would do Memorial Day posts. The programs which they referenced invariably came from some other time in the war, mostly that we'd already covered. So why the lack of specific Memorial Day programming? I thought about it, and I came up with a theory. It could be that people in the midst of war who go through the newspaper columns every day and read through the names, hoping and praying that their loved one isn't on a killed list. Perhaps running inadvertently to the name of an old friend. When Americans are killed on foreign battlefields by the score overseas, I think that these sort of people don't need a day, or don't need as much a day to remind them Freedom is fragile, and it comes at a high price. The lives of tens of thousands of American men and women who perished on battlefields across the face of the earth. It is we who live in a time where for Americans, out-and-out war that demands sacrifices is only a matter of history where we have an all-volunteer force may not even know a member of the armed forces personally. We need reminders, but in the spirit of the war, we'll continue without a specific program for today, uh, for Memorial Day. Continue our focus on how this greatest generation lived and fought and laughed and loved and died as we take a listen to another two episodes of Soldiers of the Press. Today's episodes originally aired April the 3rd and May the 7th of 1944. The titles of the episodes are Merrill's Raiders and Anzio Diary. Soldiers of the Press. again on Merrill's Raiders. Where are our planes and the men they promised us? How long could we try and hold out? The world was told the story of Bataan by United Press correspondent Frank Hewlett. Get that stuff aboard. The launch is waiting, sir. Thanks, son. Are the others ready? At the dock, sir. This is the first time I've ever walked out on my men. You're not walking out, sir. The rock will still be here. And so will we, waiting for you to come back. I pray you'll hold out. We will, sir. Meanwhile, you'll be, wherever you're going, building a powerful expeditionary force of Americans to come back and pay off those filthy Japs. I won't let you down. I won't let our country down. And the men here on Corregidor won't let you down, sir. Frank Hewlett was on Corregidor. His eyewitness accounts of the battle were dramatically told to readers and listeners of United Press. His stories of the evacuation of the essential military staff, of the hopeless fight of the men left behind, 
are journalistic tributes to the valor of those Americans. Hewlett has followed the war in the Pacific, from Bataan to Corregidor, to Australia, to New Georgia and New Guinea, and now into Burma. Frank Hewlett, the only civilian correspondent among a hand-picked force of jungle fighters, fighters who knife their way 200 miles through savage jungle and beat the Japs at their own game. This is Frank Hewlett with Merrill's Raiders in northern Burma. Who are these Merrill's Raiders? They're hand-picked men, veterans of the early fighting in the Pacific. From Guadalcanal, New Georgia, New Britain, the Solomons. You probably know these boys. Know them from your hometowns. You folks from the south. You're sure to know this fellow. Shucks, these jungle rains ain't nothing. You all got to come on down home early spring sometime and watch it pour. Yeah, and watch the Mississippi spill over. Man, that's rain. And you folks in the west, in the Dust Bowl. Here's a chap you'll recognize. My paw spent his life trying to draw water onto our land so as we could grow something. Paul and I used to stand out in the field, dry as my tongue is right now, pray for the miracle that had turned that parched earth beneath our feet into mud. <laughs> Doggone, here I am thousands of miles from home, knee-deep in mud, where it ain't no good at all. And there's the lieutenant from New Hampshire. Robert is his name. He taught in a little country schoolhouse. Many's the time I had to wear snowshoes to get to school. Amos Terwilliger used to hitch up a big barn sled, hoist his and all the neighbors' children aboard, and with bells jingling in the crisp wintry air, taxi him back and forth through snow too deep to walk on. Uh, hey, Sarge. Yes, sir? Uh, what's the temperature? One hundred and cent. Oh, cooling off, isn't it? And I was brought up with earmuffs sewed onto my hats and warm bricks in my bed. These are Merrill's Raiders. You haven't heard from them till now because they've been mighty busy training. General Merrill really knows the Japs. He was a military attaché in Tokyo for two years before Pearl Harbor. Some time ago, he sent to the South Pacific for volunteers, for men to train for this Burma campaign. He taught them all the tricks he had learned in Japan, and he added a few of his own. Ideas that were to carry his brave Raiders out of battle victorious. I can climb a tree and swing through the jungle sky like Tarzan. I never used a knife or anything else but cutting food and carving my initials where I shouldn't. But now, brother, I can just use a knife. Only I can move through the jungle quieter than the spirit of Hirohito's ancestors. I can pitch a grenade like a big leaguer and show any Jap a few pointers when it comes to jujitsu. I can fight and maintain my normal strength at 120 degrees. Merrill's raiders can do everything they say they can and much more. And so, after weeks of arduous training, Merrill's raiders are ready to meet the enemy. Ready to plod 200 miles through the jungles of northern Burma to stage their first raid on the Jap outpost of Wallaboom. Joe, drop back. See how far behind those mule packs are. We need mortars. Sure hate to go in there without some heavier gun cover. When do you expect them mules to be here? Oh, hours ago. It's six o'clock. That's when we should have gone in. I know. But we've been so many days getting here, another few hours won't make much difference. Checking on the mule, sir. We're at least an hour off. Okay, Joe. Get to the top of that tree and tell me what's going on in the Jap garrison. I don't think they know we're here yet. Yes, sir. I think I ought to run this line up and sort of establish a permanent observation post. Yeah. Good idea, Joe. This is as good a spot as any. Get going. Clem, tell the men to get as much rest as they can. Yes, sir. Here's your lead. Joe's about ready to report. Thanks. Joe, 
Can you hear me? Sure, I can hear you, sir. Uh, here's your first finger on Wallaboom. Uh, the village is laid out like a triangle. Strong emplacements at three corners. Long, low barracks connecting each other like an old blockhouse wall. Now, the camp is awake. Every man is up and about. Well, where would you say headquarters is located? Uh, just a second out loud. Look around. Uh-huh. Oh, there it is. I spotted it. Uh, way back at the far end of town. It's a square native hut, uh, rather large. Uh, sentries all around, about six of them. Just saw a couple of officers go in. Roads. Uh, what about roads? Well, the town's laid out pretty well. The street's muddy, but fair condition. Uh, main road runs about 100 yards to our left, passes over a bridge, bends right, runs through town, and then heads south and west into the jungle. And how about communications? Well, sir, they look pretty good. Branch into three directions, southwest, west, and due north. You sure about that southwest line? Absolutely. Uh-huh. They must have just hung that. It doesn't show up in my air shots. The wire party must still be out there. Uh, are you looking at the pictures dropped last night? Yes. Well, how did they figure with the lineup I gave it? Perfectly. Except for that southwestern wire. Well, maybe they expected us. Oh, I don't know. But I'm going out to stop that wire party. Uh, Joe. Yes, sir? Uh, get through to the colonel. Tell him I'm taking a patrol after the wire party. If our shots carry, you fellas toss the garrison everything you have. Well, what about the mortars? We need them. By the time we engage the Japs, the mule packs will be here. Okay, sir. And good luck. Clemens. Yes, Lieutenant. Pick two men with Tommies, plenty of grenades, and come with me. We're going after a Jap wire party. Yes, sir. Anderson? Yes, sir. Spitzer? Right. Let's go, boys. We're going out of them on a patrol with the lieutenant. You all set? Yes, sir. We're ready. Yes, all right. Now, fellows, here's the idea. The Japs are stringing a new wire to the southwest. We've got to knock it out. And get those engineers, too. sir. See it? Yeah. Keep low now. When we're right under, Anderson will go up and clip it. And we'll follow the line till we meet the party. Anderson? Yes, sir. Get up there and cut that wire. Sure enough. Here I go. Right. Make it snappy, Anderson. Look out below. Get down here, quick. They spotted us, sir. Nothing for us to do but keep moving. Following the line. No talk. Just shoot the first thing that moves. Hey! Ben! Hey! Ben! It's Yanks. Or some of Stuwell's Chinese. Or a Jap trick. We'll soon find out. Straight ahead. See them? There. And like I said, they're Chinese. Chinese nothing. They're Japs. And one of them set to throw a grenade. <laughs> Holy smoke. You shot that grenade right out of the guy's hand and knocked off the four of them. A shot knocking a grenade out of a guy's hand. I never saw a shot like that in my life. And you never will again if we don't get out of here. The place will be lousy with Japs in two minutes. They've opened up. The mules must have got through with the guns. Come on, boys. Guys. Come on. Come on. Yes, the first engagement for Merrill's Raiders had started. The mule packs with mortars and light artillery arrived just as the Japs started shelling our installations. They heard the lieutenant's skirmish with the four Jap engineers and opened up with everything they had. The lieutenant and his party got back to join our company as the shooting was just beginning to warm up. Lieutenant! Jilt! The phone's on the bridge heading this way! Okay, men. Take direction from Joe. Then as the first Japs are halfway across the bridge, drop it on them. Mortars one, two, five, and seven. Get your direction from Joe. Then dump it on. 
are a crazy enemy, a determined enemy. No sooner would one face fall into the water than another Jap would appear from nowhere, until the little river ran crimson with their blood. And when Merrill's raiders stormed the Jap garrison on the other side, they had to hurdle 600 dead Japs piled high on the banks. Merrill's raiders are moving on through Burma cutting into Jap garrisons, communications, ambushing the enemy, kidnapping their officers, supplying partisan guerrillas with guns and ammunition, sleeping briefly wrapped in the orange, blue, and white parachutes that flutter to ground with food and supplies dropped by friendly aircraft. Merrill's raiders are fighting now. At this very moment, while you are hearing their story, the guns of Merrill's raiders are blazing. You have just heard Hewlett Reports again, the story of that brave band of American volunteers fighting in Asia, Merrill's Raiders. Other United Press correspondents are on the world's battlefronts and in world's capitals, ready to flash you the news whenever and wherever it happens. We will present another in this thrilling series, Soldiers of the Press, soon. Be sure to listen. Soldiers of the Press. This week, Anzio Diary. Robert Vermillion, United Press correspondent in Italy. It's my job to tell you people at home what's going on here on the beachhead at Anzio. It may sound funny to start telling you what things are like with something as unwarlike as a wedding, but it was a part of the ludicrous hodgepodge of war, and to those of us at the beachhead, it was a very touching event. If you've ever hitchhiked on a foggy highway back in the States and seen a pair of headlights approaching through the darkness, you get what I mean. It's a mighty black business on those few square miles in Italy. And a boy and a girl getting married in the midst of it was like seeing a couple of hundred dreams come true. Every one of the boys carries around a favorite dream in his pocket. Maybe it's a snapshot, maybe a letter. All those pictures and letters were rolled up into one when the wheezy old organ they managed to dig up started playing the old, familiar strains. Just plain getting married with a battle going on is no easy business. You couldn't be sure the German bombers wouldn't be over any minute. Oh, Jane, you oh, look adorable. You know, when I was a little girl, I, I always thought that I'd be married when the magnolia came out in our backyard. 
Mother used to tell me what she'd do to Grandma's wedding dress to make it do. You'll be a beautiful bride, honey, even without the magnolia. What do you mean? I wouldn't trade all the magnolia and old lace in the world for this. Why, Second Lieutenant Jane Sampson had a last assignment today. In one hour, it'll be Second Lieutenant Jane Clark. <laughs> the magnolias can wait. What's borrowed, Jane? This handkerchief. It's Mary's. Well, what's blue? Blue. <gasps> I've forgotten that. I should have something blue, shouldn't I? Oh, of course you should. We'll have well, to find something blue. It, it wouldn't be... be right without it. And don't forget it's something right. right. Oh, come on, you're oh, Look out. There were two surprise raids while the bride was getting ready for the ceremony. Everybody dived for foxholes, and then, when the bombers disappeared, went on with things as if nothing had happened. One of the girls, a Red Cross worker, had seen to everything. She had persuaded the boys to collect old ammunition cases where the 300 nurses and soldiers were to sit. She'd even arranged for the wedding to be at 8.30 so the pair could be married with the minute hand on the down suite. All around us, the big guns were coughing and exploding, keeping up their deadly chorus as our small organ began to play. As the bride approached the crude altar... She looked as glowing and hopeful as if she'd been in the church at home. The officers and men stood at the worn-looking ammunition cases, and when they sat down, there was a low clatter as they put their helmets at their feet. I'd heard something about their romance. They'd met two years before at Camp Pickett, Virginia, but the bride told me it wasn't love at first sight. And then, in Sicily, they met again. Lieutenant Sampson, there's a gentleman waiting to see you. Oh, did he give his name? He said he was Lieutenant Clark. Lieutenant Clark? Really? I'll be right down. Why, hello, Jack. Hello. Oh, it certainly is a surprise to find you here. Well, I guess it is. I just found out your hospital unit was shipped here. Well, I thought I'd make another stab at sweeping you off your feet. <laughs> well, I wish you better luck this time. Oh, you don't understand. These are orders. I talked the case over with my commanding officer, and he agreed it was a matter of extreme importance. Oh? You are now a military objective. Well, in that case, maybe we'd better take a walk and talk it over. They had a lot of long walks and talks, and finally they applied for permission to get married. When the permit came through, they were both in Italy. But Lieutenant Clark said... We're not waiting another day, beachhead or no beachhead. That's how the first military wedding in Italy came about. That's how it happened that we were all standing there while the guns boomed all around and the boy and a girl who had fallen in love in the middle of war got married. Dearly beloved, we are gathered together here in the sight of God and in the face of this company to join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony, which is an honorable estate instituted of God in the time of man's innocency, signifying unto us... It was a small, isolated event in a vast battlefield, but it had a lot of strength and reality. In a way, it was close to everyone there, because there were plenty of other things at the Anzio Beach had to make your heart get sick and twist with fury. There was death and destruction all around us. This little beachhead wedding was life, 
not death. And it was lifting and warming, almost a defiant gesture in the cruel face of war. And we had our fill of cruelty, too. Two nights after the wedding, the Germans bombed two American hospitals on the beachhead. The Germans came over around 10 o'clock, hurling incendiary bombs on the fragile hospital tents where our wounded were being cared for. When I reached the spot where the bombs had been dropped, fragments were still exploding, scattering burning steel through the frail canvas structures. I had to hit the dirt a couple of times to keep clear of those flying bits of fire. The whole hospital area was a weird hash of sound, color, and action. Bright flashes from the burning fragments, the low, barely audible groans and sobs from hurt men, the calls for litter bearers, the brisk, efficient handling of the wounded. I made my way to the nearest tent. The front had been ripped open by the explosion. It was dark inside, but I could hear the firm, even voice of a nurse quieting the men. The raid is over. You don't have to worry. Everything is all right now. I stepped inside, and the nurse brushed past me. Get me some stretchers, and get them quick! Inside, wounded men had jerked themselves from beds onto the floor, regardless of how badly hurt they were. Cots were tipped over. Men lay sprawled under the bedding and in the middle of the aisle. Some were struggling to get on their feet. The nurse tried to reassure them, make them comfortable, until the wardmen arrived. One by one, the men stopped moaning. Then, the only sound came from one boy I couldn't even see. It's all right. Everything is all right. Where are you? I'm hurt. Yes. You'll be better soon. Help me, Mom. The litter bearers came and took out the men who were alive first. The boy calling for his mother was one of the first to be picked up. He was still crying out as they carried him from the tent. I couldn't help asking myself one question over and over. Did the Germans mark the hospital as a specific target? Was it deliberate? Who knows? May have been. After all, it isn't the first time. Yes. No, Major. Deliberate or not, it's done plenty of damage. How bad is it? Well, so far, one wounded soldier and one ward man have been killed... At least 56 others are badly injured, but the death toll may be higher. I don't know how many of the injured are going to live. That brought the total casualties from German bombing and shelling of American hospitals on the Anzio beachhead to 37 killed and 185 wounded. It's hard to believe that scene was taking place where there had been a wedding two days before. But there are other things probably even harder for you back home to believe. For despite the bombings, there was a kind of normal community life on the Anzio beachhead. Commonplace things going on under fire, with the backdrop of war making them seem strange and unbelievable. Like the movie the Fifth Army puts on every night. I've gone to a couple of them. Once I happened into the projection room. Hi, Vermillion. Hi, Joe. Sounds like the boys are lapping it up. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good flicker. Lots of laughs. Well, I can use them. Ah, uh, you're not kidding Cigarette, Joe? Uh, no, you can't smoke up there, you oh. know. Yeah, let's try them. What was that? It sounded like a shell exploding somewhere near this building. Shell explodes and the guys start laughing. I don't get it. Well, <laughs> that's because you can't see the screen. Uh-huh. <laughs> right after the shell goes boom, the gal in the picture turns around and says, So what? <laughs> <laughs> 
I'd like to tell you about one other thing that happened at Antio. I heard about it the afternoon it happened, and I trooped down with a bunch of doughboys to watch. There, in the rolling surf of the Tyrrhenian Sea, one of our men was getting baptized. Dearly beloved, for as much as all men are conceived and born in sin, and that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and they who are in the flesh cannot please God but live in sin, committing many actual transgressions, our Savior Christ saith, none can enter into the kingdom of God, except he be regenerate and born The battle never stopped raging all around us, but there was time for a wedding and a baptism, simple things that seemed tremendous under fire. That's what it was like at the Anzio beachhead, a bizarre kaleidoscope that shifted from scenes of sordid horror to scenes of ordinary fun, from scenes of pain and endurance scenes of life and hope. Welcome back. I thought that second story, The Anzio Diary, was just incredibly powerful as it looked at how soldiers just really sought out anything that would give them a little slice of normalcy and peace and hope for the future. I think both the marriage and the baptism definitely represented that. It was such a great contrast and such a well-written and well-told story. That will do it for today. If you uh, have a comment, email me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. I welcome your story or that of loved ones who served during World War II. Ken Curlin provides our opening theme music, kencurlin.com. I am your host, Adam Graham. This uh, series is provided as a service of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, greatdetectives.net.